Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me, as always, is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today we closely follow third generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics and analysis steve welcome back to another episode of the podcast unfortunately they aren't firing up the saws in hartford this week we're definitely uh blessed the last two weeks to be celebrating race victories uh for ryan blaney on the nascar cup series circuit a little bit different feeling this week but um as i'm sure you will talk about uh though ryan did have a little bit of a shaky run he had a good run going early on shaky finish with a failure that they had with uh with the car but um we'll be preaching that power of positivity i'm sure as we go on through today's podcast yeah a diff- uh, what a difference a year makes um you know the sky is not falling this year okay chicken little uh we're in good shape this wasn't super I mean, there were some good expectations there because of what had happened the last couple of weeks, and uh, that's great. But now it's time to just go to work, get the job done, and get to the next round. And really, truthfully, this was the toughest track uh, that he has. This is the one he's always had the most trouble with. The next couple of weeks, he's going to start to build the momentum right up, and, and I, he, he could definitely win it at, at Bristol. And we know if he gets to that round of uh, eight that he can win a couple of those tracks. So, And, of course, the mile and a half. Uh, you know, the Penske cars are great at the mile and a half. So, you know, this was the one, and uh, we'll talk about it a little later, but uh, this uh, wasn't as bad as it looked on TV. So, of course, the race we're talking about is the Cookout Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. And as we do anytime, Steve and I actually get a chance to go out to the racetrack. Uh, Just kind of give a little quick fan perspective review of the experience. So uh, my wife and I were able to go up to Darlington for our first visit to that track ever. So for us here in Central Florida, it was about a six and a half half hour drive up there to South Carolina to go to the track. one of the things that I was really excited for was just from photos was seeing they kind of have like this kind of fancy metal sign that uh, you kind of walk down a hill and then walk back up a hill into the track and you go under this archway that says Darlington Raceway. Uh, as soon as you get there, it just feels, has this like classic feeling to it. We haven't been to, uh, at least I personally haven't been to like a really historic track outside of Daytona, but Daytona is a little di- bit different because it's totally modernized. Um, Darlington still has that touches of kind of like an older era of NASCAR. Um, Parking was free and plentiful. Um, Like I said, the walk from your car, the parking lot, as long as you get there early, we are uh, uh, always get to the racetrack early, no matter what. Um, So we were parked within like one of the first two rows in the field on the way there. So just the walk over to the track from the car was probably about five minutes. It was really close by. Uh, the track sits up on like a hill. So the one thing just to keep in mind, and I sent Steve a photo of this uh, on the weekend, was that, uh, you know, you know, missing the escalators that they have at Daytona. Because when you get up to the track at Darlington, after you get in the gates, you're just met with these giant um, picture like the side of a pyramid style ste- uh, concrete steps. 
that go all the way up to the to the racetrack. I think I counted maybe about, I think it was around 65 steps that you have to take to get up there. So if you are a little bit physically challenged or something, they do have at least one elevator that I saw that you would have to wait for. So other than that, you get up the stairs, uh, get out to see the track, and again, it's that classic feeling, had that sense of history when you walked walked through the gates, walked into the track, and went out into the grandstand, and then you just get to see, you always see it on TV and hear about how unique this track is, the one sweeping turns one and two, the tight turns three and four, um, it's a mile and a third, I think, track, so a little bit shorter than what a mile and a half would be, if you are sitting up in, um, from the middle to the top of the grandstand, you can see the entire track, no problem. See all the action. We seated ourselves toward turn four, still in the main grandstand, but toward the torn, turn four area, which I did purposely, just like we do when we go to Homestead, because I really like watching uh, the driver's rim ride, um, turns three and four, and then come down the front stretch. I think it's one of the coolest sights to really see. So um, if you're going to Darlington, I would suggest maybe a seat seats towards that side of the track just so you can kind of see that and they do it at homestead and it's a little bit further away from the stands at darlington you're kind of it's kind of right up in front of you where this turn is and ryan at times i mean he varied uh, his lane through each run so he kind of would run kind of the, toward the middle of the track but once it got toward the end of the run he would creep up closer to the wall and seeing kyle larson run you know within an inch or two of the wall throughout most of the race and even at times ryan too he had the uh, ability and the talent to hold that outside line too and just seeing those guys come off the turn all the way through the turn up against the wall and go down the front stretch was very exciting um Facility-wise, I think I tweeted this on my personal Twitter. Hands down, the best, like, basic concession food that I've had at a racetrack to date. Now, I've only been to Daytona, Homestead, Atlanta, uh, and now Darlington. But as far as concession staples go, hot dogs, hamburgers, nachos, that kind of stuff, it was great, and the prices were pretty good as well. Um, But yeah, facility-wise, bathrooms, everything, top notch i carry tharp and his team there at darlington uh my wife and i give you guys big thumbs up so that's my review (laughs) of the southern cookout southern 500 at darlington raceway but what i think we need to do is review ryan blaney's race in the cookout southern 500 this past weekend at darlington raceway ryan blaney race recap darlington raceway all right uh we had um Stages of 115, 230, and 367 with the competition caution at lap 25. Uh, fuel run uh, was 69 to 73 laps, but uh, it's kind of interesting uh, because most of them are going to go fuel uh, full fuel run. They're basically going to look for tires as soon as they can, and there were 13 sets of tires uh, for the teams on the night. Uh, of course, Ryan did start on the pole, and he also picked uh, pit stall number one, which uh, later in the evening is... Uh, an interesting place to, to watch. <laughs> um, the three went to the rear for some sort of a issue. And uh, of course, uh, we start off with the low line on these restarts. Um, I think uh, we had of all the choose cones during the night, I think they only showed a couple of them. And uh, it was not a good thing because you really needed to see what line guys are starting in. And if the, the leader started in the low line, that line was going to get uh, two or three spots right off the break every every uh, green flag. 
And they were still even kind of experimenting a little bit because there were some times when Ryan went low and Ryan went high. I know throughout the Xfinity race and then also the truck race too, it seemed like the leaders would kind of switch back and forth just to see what they could do. Um, we'll probably talk about it a little bit, but it, in all three series, it just seemed like normally that outside line on a racetrack is where you want to be. But in this case, it really seemed like the low line was always the one that was able to get that push and normally the, the two top two in the in the low line often were the ones that ended up being the top two after they made it through turns one and two. Yeah. Uh, by lap four, Ryan's already starting to talk about the car getting loose. And uh, Josh talks about uh, what line the one is running behind him there. So they're kind of trying to get an idea of what other cars are doing and how they're running, especially with this turn two that they repaved. Um, cause guys are getting a lot of grip coming through there and how they handle that going into three and four, um, definitely gave them, um, idea of what they needed to do for what kind of line to run through three and four, cause they were getting more momentum going down the backstretch than they normally would. Um, by lap 12, he's got like a, a three tenths of a second lead on the one. And, uh, then there's a caution at lap 15 uh, for the 48 and the 24. And this is what's interesting about the night is that no matter how much talent anybody has <laughs> and how they're doing in the playoff run and so on and so forth, any part of the track could jump up and bite you at any point in time. And, uh, you know, uh, Ryan's talking about the back end is sliding out on him at this point. And the one does pass him uh, right before this caution happens. So, um, choose cone happens and the leaders, the one he takes the low Ryan takes the low. And this is probably a good idea at lap 22. He's, uh, in second and there is some pressure from behind from the eight and the four. Um, the competition caution comes at lap 25 and the uh, four actually passes him. So he's in third at this point and he's talking about being really loose and pretty free. So of course everybody pits for, to for tires, fuel, uh, they do a little bit of stagger and air pressure to help here. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about the crew, uh, pit crew a little later, but most of the night they hold serve here. They went in third, they came out third. And uh, the four took the lead on pit road, which was kind of interesting because he kind of like came out of nowhere early in the evening and, and hung around most of the night. Uh, the 43 stayed out at this point. <laughs> Not sure why. <laughs> And he takes the choose cone. Uh, he took the bottom and Ryan took high, which was actually smart because the, you know, 25 laps on tires. And I think actually what happened is the 43 pitted on that first caution at lap 15. So he had 10, 10 lap old, older tires, but those are already too old. So, uh, you know, things get stacked up there, uh, by lap, uh, 30, uh, Ryan is sixth, uh, oh, he goes from six to fourth, um, right around the 43, of course. And then there's a caution for the 34 car and Ryan is in fourth at this point. Um, I don't know what happened to 34. Did the engine blow up? I'm not even sure. Um, I believe they did have, um, I mean, they had some sort of an issue, but he did spin. Like he got loose at the previous week is when he blew the engine. I believe oh, okay. this week he did kind of come off out of turn one, get a little bit loose and then ended up sliding down to the bottom of the track and just smashed the front end of that car in. And I know this isn't the team Michael McDowell podcast, but I did feel bad for this car just in general, because McDowell during all of his playoff interviews was talking about how this team had saved all the money they could basically all season long after they won the Daytona 500, just to pour it into this playoff run. 
and they didn't necessarily build all brand new cars, but they took their best cars and put all of their money into it. He said coming into this race that he thought this was the best car he's driven or will drive all, all year long, and he ended up nose and right into the inside wall and out of the race. So tough luck for the 34, but like I said, we'll move on to more Ryan Blaney-based topics. All right. Um, uh, lap 34, the choose cone. The leader is the four. Uh, let's see. He's, uh, takes the low. Of course, Ryan takes the high at this point by uh, lap 41, uh, Ryan's in fourth and the five cars behind him and the five cars matching him pretty much. So, you know, here's a guy at the end of the night who, you know, races for the win, but early on in the evening, they've got him matched pretty good. Uh, lap 48, uh, caution for Rick Ware racing. Uh, 51 into 53. I don't know, Adam, what are these guys doing right now? <laughs> I don't know. It's just crazy. And, and those two, though, they're on the same team. Uh, Cody Ware and James Davidson have had in the team in general has had multiple run-ins throughout the year, but those two kind of have some bad blood and it's like the weirdest thing they've publicly and, uh, in interviews and various things, like kind of talked with some tension between the two of them. But they continue on. If people aren't familiar, James Davidson uh, came over from the IndyCar series trying to make a go at it in stock cars. Obviously not in the best equipment with Rick Ware. Um, but they're they're doing the best that they can. I think he has a lot of talent. Cody is another one that's kind of jumping between stock car racing and has made some IndyCar starts too. But it's just... It just seems to be the weirdest the weirdest thing between those two that they continue on that just the fact that Davidson's still there. But again, that's that's probably for a topic for another show. But um, this team, yeah, not having that much luck. And part of it is just the fact that, again, all the cars are very similarly set up. They're all running very similar speeds. So they're going to be, and since they're in the back, they're going to be stuck together a lot. So I think that might just be what it is. It's just your odds of crashing together are, are higher due to the fact that all of your cars are running about the same speed with the same equipment. And if one of you slips up, um, it might take out several of them. So <laughs> I don't know if they need to change that strategy, put more money into one of the cars so they can run up a little bit further. And then the, the other two, three, four, five that they, they have, um, I know they can't have five, uh, run back a little bit, <laughs> a little bit out of harm's way. So I, I'm not sure. I won't, I won't be surprised if James Davidson or something exits that team out of frustration at some point. All right. Um, they pit here four tires fuel and they do change the nose weight here to help, help a little bit. Um, they go in fifth and come out third. So the pit crew does a great job there. The choose cone, the leader, the 11 goes low. Ryan goes high. Um, at lap 55, he passes the four car and he's up to second at lap 63. Um, the one car is closing in on him a little bit and he's about a second and a half back of the 11. Um, uh, here's the interesting thing at lap 67, he starts to gain a little bit on the 11 and this is something they don't show well enough on TV sometimes, but what's actually happening. If you're watching the timing and scoring on left-hand side is the gap might be closing and it's not necessarily because he's getting faster and the other guy's getting slower or anything like that. It's lap traffic is what they're starting to run into. Uh, even though it's kind of early in the run. Um, so, uh, he Brian does radio in and tell him that the back end is definitely better. So the adjustments are going the right direction here. Um, and this is, uh, Josh tells him the only one matching, uh, they're the only one matching the 11s times at this point. So they're doing pretty good. Lap 74 still in second and about three quarters of a second back at that 11. And, um, 
Yeah, it just seemed like even though they were having some handling problems here and there, they seemed like they had a pretty strong car uh, throughout the first three quarters of this race. Um, now, at lap 81, they start green flag pitting. And this is this is kind of like tough to tell sometimes uh, during green flag cycles uh, if you gain any time or lose any time. The only thing I hate about the green flag cycle, and this is a personal opinion, is if you're not the first one to go in there, you lose you lose because the first guy or two who goes in there, let's say his tires will be a second, a lap faster. And he goes out and runs two laps before you come in. Well, he's gained two seconds on you already. And that's the only thing that kind of bothers me during the evening is they kind of like don't pit right at the same moment as the leader. They wait a lap or two. And I know it might be because of the fuel window, but that's two seconds a lap. Or, I mean, let's say it's a second a lap just as a, a, a number you know, two laps, that's two seconds. And they lost that two seconds, you know? Yeah. Especially at a track like this, where you need tires, you run two laps and you need fresh tires if you, if you have the chance. So, um, I was frustrated with that too. I think that was one of the messages I messages I sent along with to you during the night was multiple times. I think, man, I just wish he would have would pit yeah, before, pit, pit before the, the leader, just to try to get the leader. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. If they pit before the leader a lap or two before the leader's planning on it, you know, maybe they get that two seconds on and then get it on the track. And then, you know, when that leader comes back out there that much closer to them, you know, but especially when you're only, uh, when you're running second behind that leader, you know, that's, that's the thing is, you know, he just gained a couple seconds on you and, and he does fit at lap 81 to 11 does. And then they tell Ryan, give me three more, but at lap 83, they only wait one more lap and they go ahead and pit for four tires and fuel. Um, but uh, he goes in second, and I figured out that he would cycle to third because the five actually hit a really good pit stop in there uh, coming to pit road and the actual pit stop itself. So the five caught him. Um, but, you know, the 11, the five, the 12, the one, and the 19 are the top five at lap 92. Um, and they're about – here's the difference. Uh, they're in third place and 5.46 back at the leader at this point. So, you know. Lap 95, the one passes him, so he's now in fourth. And at lap 103, um, Ryan wants to know what line the the five is running up in second there. So he kind of wants to know what the five is doing at both ends of the track, maybe try to duplicate it. Now, the end of the stage happens there, and um, the 11 wins the stage, but Ryan ends up fourth, which is excellent. This is the way the playoffs needed to start. We need to get the get the bonus points from the stages and uh, – fourth place that's good stage points right off the bat uh lots of talk on the radio about how the four the one the five are running where they're running at so that he kind of gets an idea of what what to do maybe once they get back out uh they pit in fourth come out fourth so they're going to start stage two in a good spot um the leaders the 11 and his choose comes bottom ryan takes the top and uh ryan gets a really good restart uh at lap 123 here and actually gets himself all the way up to third for a lap or two and then the one does pass him so he's back to fourth we did talk about i know we already mentioned like how the bottom was really the preferred lane when it came to restarts throughout this race but like you just said there were a few times where ryan went high and made it work it didn't seem like it out of the gate out of the gate the bottom line would get a big uh lead over that top line but i don't know whatever ryan was doing as far as uh, corner entry 
and getting off of the, I don't want to call it the grip strip, but whatever you want to call that, uh, fresh yeah. patch of, of pavement out there. He had it to where he got a really great launch when he came out of two and then would find his way back up into the uh, the top four or five, depending on where he started from that outside line. So it worked yeah. out a few times for him. Now, um, the lap 124 is a caution for the 18. And uh, <laughs> this is in the news. So I, mean, I got to, you know, comment on this a little bit. Um, it, it was interesting. The interview, you know, there was swearing in the interview with the 18 and everything. But he did not, had, not say that it was actually getting hit that caused the accident. You know, he said it was his driving. Um, what's amazing to me is they didn't try to fix the car. Like he determined himself that it was damaged enough not to try and run it, which in the playoffs, I don't think you should do. Um, I mean, he's notoriously known for any type of damage that he gets. He's immediately first thing says is killed it. And that happened. Uh, but he and he radioed that in that the car was killed. But then also the people on the other end of the radio agreed and they said, take it to the garage. So. But yeah. the thing about that is that he drove it back to the garage with such vigor that the car seemed to operate pretty good. He turned, <laughs> turned left, ran over a bunch of cones, and almost ran over some people and drove that thing all the way to the back end of the hauler and didn't have any problems braking or turning. So I think that really truthfully they should have worked on the car and uh, worked on the driver too maybe a little bit. Yeah, frustration definitely got the best of him. And he already knows and self and he admits to himself that he's kind of a sore loser uh hates losing more than he likes winning and uh which was kind of funny as we had our headsets on and a lot of time at the track i'm not always listening to spotter chatter i'll listen to the the radio broadcast because i think it between their breaks i think it's funny because they kind of turn into comedians a little bit sometimes but they mentioned uh after kyle because kyle came on and he did an interview with kim coon on the radio that was very calm he said it wasn't the three's fault i shouldn't have even been back there the car was junk i don't know i'm not i'm paraphrasing but he definitely didn't say what he said on the radio on the tv and i didn't even know that that's what had happened until a little bit ago or a little bit after the radio guys in between one of their breaks had said you know kyle's interview with us was way different than what he gave our uh tv partners um, so they were kind of surprised by that. So I don't know. I'm not sure which interview came first, whether Kim Kuhn from MRN had got to him first or whether TV got to him first. Um, my biggest concern was we saw kind of him enter the pits, like you said, vigorously or, or with a, a relatively high rate of speed when, you know, when you're in a, in a, in a stock car. Um, they're going towards people. Anything's going to seem fast. But then pulling up the replay – uh, going to Twitter and pulling up the replay and I'm showing Tara like what had ha actually happened and just like, ugh, that's no good. And I mean, being someone that worked at a racetrack for almost a decade and was in the pits a lot, um, I can understand. I've seen several drivers come off of the track hot because they're upset and blow through the pits. And that was definitely frowned upon. And today NASCAR basically showed even though there isn't i don't think necessarily i didn't read the press release that there's a specific rule that he broke but i think they have the ability to uh lay down the law when they have to and what now he's uh the nascar foundation is now fifty thousand dollars richer and kyle is uh fifty thousand dollars uh on the on the other side of that for blowing through those cones and causing kind of a safety issue well you know the uh the tire guy is the guy that, that 
you know, drew my attention because he had his head up and he saw him coming and he moved. What if that guy didn't know that anybody was coming? What if he's doing his thing, doing his job was moving those tires along. There'd be tires everywhere. That guy would have got thrown into the air. Um, you know, we'd have had a real incident and there was no reason, you know, you can pull that car off the track any way you like, but you really don't need to do that. You know? Yeah. I listened to plenty of NASCAR radio today, uh, this morning before this penalty had, had uh, happened, and actually going back to yesterday as well. Um, Love Dave Moody and his show and everything, but totally disagree. He, you know, was you know talking to a lot of callers who shared what you said and what kind of our feelings. And Moody's always just like, hey, we can't govern on the what ifs. Like, no one got hit, nobody got hurt. You can't fine or penalize a guy. And I'm like, God, when it comes to safety. And literally anything else in life when it comes to speeding tickets and other traffic violations and and other laws, we do govern on the what ifs. And I don't think necessarily NASCAR should be any different. What if, you know, oh, somebody didn't get killed this week, so let's not use the Hans device anymore. Like, it's, I, I, I don't I feel like you do kind of have to take the what ifs into account, especially in this case, plus the track too and i mean i've been down uh, again pit road and stuff not necessarily when it's hot but at least like during qualifying and stuff um to see and normally there are two guards on either side of those entrances that do stop people they're like saying hey you you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to cross here during this certain period of time so i don't know if someone dropped the ball there but again they shouldn't necessarily have to just assume that traffic will be stopped and you can I think if he dripped the cones weren't there, maybe be a lot less dramatic. But the fact that uh, the spotter was telling him, hey, to watch out for people, and then he drives through the cones, that that kind of got egregious. Take take all the media people with a grain of salt, too, um, especially guys like that, because Dave Moody, because he's he wants to have Kyle on his show someday in the future. Okay, so to say something critical, they're not going to do it. They'll let the fans do it. They'll let you and I call in and do it. We're not going to be interviewing Kyle anytime soon on our program here. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so, but so we can be not critical. now, <laughs> but, but, but guys like that are going to worry about whether or not they can have Kyle on in a week, week or two from now, or have him on an interview at some point or have him, you know, do, do those type of media obligations. You know, Bob Pockross did the same thing today. He said that since they didn't penalize him for bumping the pace car a couple of weeks ago in the rain, yeah. well, they shouldn't have done it this time either. And I'm sorry, Bob is just more worried about whether or not Kyle will talk to him next week when he needs a soundbite or an interview. And that's, I mean, it's great for, for, I mean, I hate to be critical of Bob too, but this is something that's dangerous. You know, it's dangerous and it's detrimental. And you know what? He's got, Kyle's got kids and his, his kid is seeing that and seeing your dad act like that. Shame on you. You know, I said it here. Tough situation. I mean, like I said, I can understand the other side of it slightly in the fact that no one could really name a rule that he broke unless they had just had some general rule on, on being safe or something. But again, they're also the sanctioning body that can just, they can do what they want and there's something about do something something about things that are detrimental to the sport too which normally are are something very very different than this but i guess like you said yeah it could be still could be bad bad press is probably they're probably getting plenty of bad press from it right now so yeah yeah so all right well we know where we stand we thought it was a safety (laughs) issue and we got up on our on our soapbox and i think we said we said what we needed to say (laughs) hopefully if 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 brian yeah 
if you agree or if you disagree, go ahead and uh, send us a tweet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to the Team Blaney tweet uh, on Twitter there. Um, let's see here. Uh, lot 126, uh, fourth fourth place here. Chusco and the leaders the, goes high. Um, and uh, Ryan goes low. Uh, the leader's uh, Larson at this point. And they're talking about a one or two stop strategy to the end of the stage here, which you know, it becomes all about tires. Everybody takes that extra stop for the tires at some point. Uh, the eight almost hits Ryan there. So Ryan's on fifth after that restart, but he passes the 19th and gets to fourth at lap 132. So he's making good ground on some of these guys. Um, he says starting to get a loose uh, at lap 147. The 42 passes him and he gets to fifth. At lap 150, the 19 comes back and passes Ryan. He runs at six at this point. And he says the tires are gone, you know. Um, so they're pitting from uh, sixth place here with green flag cycle uh, at lap 158. And uh, let's see here. There's a caution for debris that comes out at this point, kind of sh- shakes things around a little bit. I think he ends up ninth. Um, the 20 was on the lead and this was this whole wave around situation. Um, and you had to kind of explain it to me because I, I kind of thought there was going to be a wave around because there were a bunch of guys lap down Ryan included, but I think what four or five cars got back to the lead lap and the 20 had not pitted yet. So he was the leader. So yeah, just, it was really weird because, you know, on the radio, they're saying, no, there's not going to be a wave around because normally if any of those guys would stay out that were on the lead lap and inherit the lead and they don't pit, that traps everybody else a lap down. So Bell went to pit, Larson inherited the lead. So you would think, oh, he stayed and he and Larson stayed out along with a couple of those other guys that had gotten back on the lead lap. So we're like, oh, there won't be a wave around. But what happened was, and I told you, it's kind of a unique circumstance, was that Bell was out in the lead the lap down cars, including Ryan and several others, were in the middle, and then back behind them was Larson. So I guess the rule goes, as long as the person, if the person that inherits the lead after somebody pits is behind those cars that were a lap down, they can then take the wave around. But if it was the other way around, if Bell and Larson were running 1-2, and Bell pitted, Larson inherited the lead, and those guys were behind Larson at that point, no wave around for you. You'd stay a lap down. So it was kind of a confusing thing. I did have to wait until somebody explained it. Uh, it might have been Bob Pockris or somebody else on Twitter kind of went through why that happened. Uh, but yeah, he had even stumped the the radio guys, uh, Rusty Wallace and Jeff Striegel and them. They, they were assuming there wouldn't be a wave around until it actually happened. So, I mean, I was happy. I didn't want to be right. <laughs> I, I definitely uh, yeah. wanted to be wrong on the, on the no wave around thing. So uh, at that point in the race, it ended up working out okay. Worked out, yeah. And the 19, um, the 19 also had to go into pit for a loose wheel. So Ryan does move up to eighth at this point. Um, Chusco, the leader, is the five. Um and he takes the bottom and Ryan takes the bottom also. Um, lap 174, he settles out into eighth place after all that. Uh, lap 183, uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth is the 24, the 12, and the four. And they're all pretty close together at this point. So there's some good racing going on between them. At lap uh, 185, the four passes, Ryan. So he ends up in ninth at this point. Um, and at lap 196, we start some more green flag pitting. Um, and he's in ninth. Um, we have a caution at lap 201 during that cycle. Um, and, 
he's still lead lap in, in ninth at this point. So they did a good job of, you know, getting, uh, getting their lap back before the caution. Uh, they stay out, um, and the choose Kona, the, go ahead. Oh, you had, this is a point. I mean, it was already kind of happening with some of the strategy stuff, but I think this is at a point where they start talking about whether guys were going to keep up with like a two pit stop, uh, strategy, three pit stop strategy. The 20 is in the middle of this. I think they wanted to go with a three pit stop strategy. So tons of stuff were going on. Guys were all over the track. I mean, even up until that, uh, previous caution due to the the green flag pitting so it's like you weren't really sure who was who was where who would actually cycle out to be where um lots of guys were were do, using some strategy like we talked about before when it came to tires where they'd pit kind of early to be in order if they were close to going a lap down to stay on the lead lap so even though maybe racing specifically wasn't as, as exciting in this middle portion of the race like i my mind was going crazy trying to think through all the strategy and, mm-hmm. and what was going to happen next. Uh, so there's uh, the restarts at lap 205 and the choose cone the, is the five. He takes the bottom. Ryan takes the top um, at lap 207. Ryan's in 10th, um, but lap 210, he passes the eight car for ninth and uh, he's closing in on, uh, on eighth place, which is uh, the nine car at this point. Uh, stage two ends and the uh, five wins stage two, but Ryan ends up finishing ninth. So uh, there's some stage points at the end of stage two. Yeah. Which stage points uh, turn out to be really crucial when it comes to the 12 team in this race, but it was good to get that, what the top five in the, in the first stage and the ninth mm-hmm. here, uh, just kind of collecting some of those things, putting them in the bank because you're going to need them for later. Yeah. Um, pitting, he goes in ninth and then, uh, he says, it feels like it's better, um, than a couple of the cars in front of him, but he just can't seem to pass him. And then this is where we have our tire issue. Um, the tire changer coming around the front and he loses control of the tire and it goes a long way out there. Um, I know there's some people that have complained in the days after about the five car had an issue earlier in the race or something with with a tire, but a tire did not get out of the pit 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 box in the in the uh, or it did maybe have hair out of the pit box, but the car hadn't left the pit box. They were able to correct it. It was it was a totally different thing than the uncontrolled tire that the twelve had. Unfortunately, um, what's interesting here is this does put him tail into the longest line, and um, you know, for the restart, that's all the way at the back, and there's thirty some cars out there, but this is where it's kind of fun to watch. Um, I don't know from your perspective, but this restarted two thirty eight. Uh, from that point forward for a little while, it was pretty cool, wasn't it? It was. I mean, you could get to see him uh, riding different lines. Basically, every lap had to change his line to get around the lap cars. Or not, they weren't lap cars, but uh, to get around the, those cars ahead of him that he was definitely faster than. Um, I know you'll keep going through this, but I know at one point I was like, ah, oh, looks like he leveled off. But then it was like he hit the the NOS and then just passed two more cars in, in that next lap. So it was kind of cool to watch it. I mean, you don't want to necessarily see that too often because you don't want to get pit road penalties or have anything else happen along the way to have to see something like this. But um, it made that part of the race interesting just to see how far he could get up from starting with tail end of that longest line. Yeah, here we go. Lap 238, the restart. He starts out in what would be 23rd position, last car lead lap. 243, he passes the 14. 
245 passes the three, 246 passes the 99, 251 he passes the 41 and the 47. This puts him all the way up to 18th. 253, uh, the 20 pits, so he gets to 17th. 254, he passes the 23, he's up to 16th. Um, they're talking about the two stop or three stop st- strategy from here to the end, and they're still trying to figure that out. Uh, lap 266, he passes the eight up to 15th. At two, lap 269, he passes the six as the six pits, he's up to 14th. Now we're uh, green flag pitting is happening here. Uh, lap 272, Ryan does pit. Uh, he's 15th roughly at this point. Um, so we'll see how it cycles out here. But 275, he's an 18th, one lap down. But if it cycles, I, you know, it, it should be in good shape. Um, he does say the brakes are soft at lap 275. Okay. Uh, two, go ahead. Take note of that. Take note of that for sure. That's that's, what, that's the first thing I really heard about it, and I wrote that down. Uh, lap 279, he passes the 99 up to 16th. Lap 282, he's up to 14th. Lap 288, passes the 37, he's up to 13th. Lap 289, uh, the four pits uh, for loose wheel, he's up to 12th. Lap 291, he passes the 8 and the 20. He's in the 10th place at this point. Okay, so back of the field to 10th. Uh, pretty good racing lap 299. There's some more green flag pitting. Um, like he starts that cycle off in 10th, um, lap 307. He passes the six for, uh, he's in 11th at this point. There's three cars that still need to pit. So at this point, he might even actually be moving up to, you know, eighth or ninth at this point, lap 312. He's actually 11th. And he was losing some ground. I mean, we you know he is kind of high up on the leaderboard there. And I think, I mean, I was even messaging you a little bit like, you know, it's going to get kind of dicey. Uh, the leaders are the leaders are coming. But I was assumed at some point there would be a caution or something else and he can get caught back up. So I wasn't that scared. But, but you could see it happening. But he was holding his own out there. And it was still kind of fun to watch. Well, the reality is, is if the race continues green the whole way, everybody's going to lose ground to everybody else just on just pit cycle. You know, somebody pits a slap or two ahead of you, they gain a second or two, everybody gets spread out, nobody can pass anybody. And then it's a matter of whether or not you do a better job getting on, on and off pit road and nobody makes a mistake and you gain spots that way, you know, but it, of course at lap 319, um, we have an issue and, uh, he did a great job not hitting anything or anybody. Um, the car actually did not you know, get any damage as far as like hitting anything. Crazy to see. And we, again, I know, act like I, all I do is text Steve during the race, which might be true, uh, even when I'm at the track. But um, we had just, Steve had just asked me, you know, the seven was ahead of Ryan at this point. And he said, where is it? Because they weren't necessarily showing it on TV. And he's like, how far ahead is the seven? And I, I was kind of tracking it. And it was like about a full straightaway. And over like the next 10 laps, Ryan was kind of gaining ground on him. And everything was looking good. And I'm following him going off the back stretch, going into turn three. And then the car just bolts around, like just snaps around. And I was just like, and it didn't look like he got in too hot or anything like that. It just like, it confused me. I'm like, it doesn't look like he just lost it. Um, but I mean, that's what I was hoping at that point. Um, but as you'll go on here, that definitely wasn't the case and kind of made the rest of the night a little bit frustrating for the 12. Yeah. Um, you know, say what you want about anything else, but they do keep trying, you know, Kyle, Kyle ran off the track in a heartbeat and never really checked to see if the car could run. Um, the 12 team, no, let's come in and fix it, come in and fix it. 
where's the pace car? Where's the pace car now, Josh? He's in, oh, he's coming out of three and four. Okay, we got 10 more seconds. They must have came in four or five times during this time period and kept working on that, that brake issue. A bunch of times. They actually even came in on the one-to-go signal. So while everybody else was out there doing the choose cone, he came back down pit road. I think Todd came on the radio and said, you got 15 seconds to make this last. I think they made a track bar adjustment or something mm-hmm. uh, in that last part there. Um, I will give Todd and Josh a lot of credit here because – we talked about Kyle Bush being a little bit hot and just taking it to the garage. Ryan was at first pretty upset, said the brakes were gone. Um, he didn't think he could stop in the box and Todd kind of talked him out of that. He said, just come down. You, you stop in the box. Everything's, you know, basically going to be okay. And we've heard Todd, you know, kind of coach him through some of these tense moments in the past. And um, one of those moments where it's like, I'm really going to miss Todd Gordon on the pit box next year because he and Ryan seem to work really well together and he's able to calm Ryan down. And then after that, it was more about turning it forward and fighting till the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, um, they, they go out, of course, a lap down 23rd tail end. Um, and he's saying at this point is he's still got no pedal. It's stuck to the floor. Um, that lap 327. And this is why you get back out there and you do things because at lap 327 caution for the nine car. So we gain a whole position on the nine, um, crashing out of the race. Um, could they stay pit again at this point? Uh, the 22nd place and lap down, but, uh, you know, they're still trying to get a spot or two if they can, um, lap 339, uh, the, the 11 does lead and Ryan's 22nd. Um, interesting to watch this part because I think I mentioned to you, like he was, I said way off the pace. That was probably being a little dramatic, but he was kind of just riding around in the back. And then, but as this race goes on, he actually, uh, I don't know what happened or what changes happened in the last several laps, but actually seemed like he was picking up some speed. And I don't know if some of that was the other drivers around him falling off, but um, I was like, man, it seems like he might have a shot here to, to pick up some positions uh, in the waning laps of that, of the race. I think he was chasing, uh, was it the 23? He was chasing the 23. 23, yep. Yeah. And um, the lap times they were giving um, were only about three to four tenths off the leaders. So you thought he was going to get lapped a second lap down, and the leaders never could get to him. He was actually running well enough to keep the leaders behind him and not end up on TV at the end, you know, with the leaders passing him. So. Uh, he made it interesting. Yeah, you're right. He was trying to chase Bubba Wallace down, and it was like he flipped a switch at some point. Like maybe he got a little bit more comfortable with how the brake pedal was feeling at that point. Uh, but yeah, it was like, oh, all of a sudden he's going fast because I thought, like you said, the leaders were coming, but then at some point he kind of gapped them again. So yeah, so I, you know, he's probably driving it into the corner different, letting off different, getting on the pedal different, on, on the accelerator different because he didn't really have much brakes to deal with. But uh, the 11 does win the race. Uh, you know, there's a dramatic finish with the five car coming up behind him. Um, and Ryan does finish 22nd, one lap down. Um, but, uh, and it's one of the longest races of the year. Uh, that was over four hours long. It was actually longer than the Coca-Cola 600 was this year. And you know, my wife might feel differently. I didn't actually ask her, but to me, just with everything that was going on, the transition from day to night, um, all the strategy stuff happening, like I, at some point, I mean, I saw the clock ticking away. It was getting later in the night, but I'm like, I thought it was going along, moving along pretty quickly. So, um, 
I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. The finish was kind of crazy. Um, Larson, I mean, there was a point when I thought Ross Chastain was going to win the race because he um, was almost past the five at one point. Um, everyone was on their feet, you know, that last five or six laps because Larson seemed like he was going to be able to make the pass. He did eventually, uh, as everyone or he even said himself, video gamed it into the last turn, mashed the throttle, rode the, the wall around. And I tell you what, if Hamlin had a been a line off the wall there's a pretty decent chance it would have been a drag race down the front stretch and uh, something that larson maybe could have won um we talked about um ryan and their fight there um we do have his quote from uh post race if you wanted me to read it just on what his thoughts were because um Mm -hmm. like we said and we might talk about could have been worse so ryan said i thought we could have run top seven today with our menards ford which would have been a great day but we got some stage points we got some stage points, though, and didn't wreck the race car, which is true. Like you said, did a really great job keeping that car off the wall when the brakes failed. He said, so that's good. It was not a great night, but it could have been a lot worse. And if uh, we were to sum up our our recap of this race, I think that's it. It wasn't a great night, but it could have been a lot worse. Um, and maybe we'll, I don't know, I know you really wanted to dive into um, some of the point standing stuff and yeah, maybe yeah. go through why it could have been a lot worse and what actually made it a pretty decent night for the 12 team. Well, first off, you know, we started the started the playoffs 19 points above the cut line, um, you know, uh, 12th place there, 12th and 13th. And he actually gained on the cut line. He's actually 22 points above that cut line now. Um, now he went from second, he was tied for second with Martin Truex to fifth. Okay. So above him originally was what was Kyle Larson and Truex was tied with him. So Kyle Larson and Truex are still above him. Denny Hamlin wins a race. Denny goes above him. Okay. Each round of these playoffs, the three guys, if they're playoffs in the playoffs, still the three guys that win those races, they go right to the top of the line. So the only other guy that passed him basically was Kurt Busch. Okay. And Kurt's four points above him. That's it. Four points. Martin is 10 points or I'm sorry, 14. Yeah. 14 points. So he can still pass Kurt even in the next week or two and, uh, or Martin really, if Martin has a bad race, but the biggest thing is he's actually gained on that cut line. Okay. And here's the biggest thing last year at this time, after this race, Ryan was 16th place. He was 17 points below the cut line after Darlington, after the penalty, after starting at the tail end of the field this week coming up, he's going to start eighth. Um, according to what I've seen so far, he's not going to be starting at the tail end of anything or 16th, you know, like the, like whoever 16th is right now would be what McDowell or whatever. He's not going to be starting anywhere near there. So everything going forward looks great. And if you compare this to last year, um, it's a huge turnaround from last year. Um, they're in position right now to do the right things, finish good in the stages, have a good finish of the race. As long as, you know, the car stays with them, it should be good. Definitely had a lot of things working in their favor other than the brake failure. Um, just the fact that he did get stage points in those first two stages of the race still was able to fight to come back for a 22nd place finish in the Southern 500. I think the stat was that seven of the 16 playoff drivers all finished outside of the top 15 or 16. And some of them had really bad nights like Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman and William Byron. 
and some of those other guys. So um, he was very fortunate that others had uh, a little bit of a challenge during this race and also fortunate that he was able to continue on after the challenges that they faced and still get a decent chunk of points heading into the next race at Richmond. Yeah, so, you know, last, if you look at last year and the dis- disappointment of last year, this year is nothing like last year. This year, right now, everything going forward looks great. One more track to get through um, at Richmond. And then Bristol, I can't wait for Bristol, to tell you the truth, you know, because the pressure will be off, I think. By the time they get to Bristol, I think they, they might point themselves in a good position where they just got to finish the race and and maybe he'll win Bristol. What the heck? Why not? Nothing is the same this year. I will echo that 100%. I say, I think I said it in last week's episode and episodes prior to that. This is a different Ryan Blaney behind the wheel in 2021. He is the head of the pack when it comes to the Penske drivers with three victories compared to the other two with just one each. And he is driving aggressive but smart. Um, early on in the race, uh, again, I keep bringing up anything that I mentioned to you during the race, but I said... He was really fighting, especially after the one pit cycle. He came out of the pits and, you know, came off and dove up and slid up in front of Kurt Busch and fought to stay ahead of him. Um, Even early on when he was leading the race and Kurt was tracking him down, there was a couple of times where he probably could have just laid over, let Kurt take the lead and, you know, try to save his tires a little bit. But he was aggressive in holding his line and staying in front of Kurt. So I think you're seeing a different Ryan Blaney behind the wheel in 2021 and it is completely paying off. Yeah. Yeah. The bottom, the bottom half of the playoff standings right now, Michael McDowell is, is last place. He's 20 points below that cut line. And, and Byron is the one and Byron's in trouble. He's nine points below that cut line. Kyle Bush is two points below the cut line. Bowman and Reddick are actually tied at the cut line. Amarola is only three points above it. Chase Elliott's only four points above it. And Christopher Bell is only five points above it. So you've got, was that seven people there that are all within, well, let's take McDowell out of the mix here. Uh, seven, six people within 14 points of each other that could all flip flop and switch this week. But the thing is, is Ryan's above that fray. You know, Ryan is 22 points above that cut line. Some stage points, stage one, stage points, stage two. And, you know, I think they're a top 10 car no matter what. He's definitely fighting with the, with most of the guys that are in that top five to 10. So let's just have another good week. So like we said, wasn't a great race, but it could have been a whole lot worse. I think that basically sums up Ryan Blaney's efforts this past weekend in the Cookout Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. But, hey, why don't we take a look back now at the history of NASCAR. This week in NASCAR history. Up first this week, we go to September 12th, 1954. Herschel McGriff drives an Oldsmobile to victory in the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National Race at Macon, Georgia. Tim Flock finishes second in his first start since quitting the tour following his disqualification at Daytona. Up next, we go to September 10th, 1972. Richard Petty emerges victorious after a wild duel with Bobby Allison in the Capital City 500 at Richmond Fairground Speedway. Petty and Allison engage in a heated bumping duel. At one point, Petty's Dodge climbs on top of the guardrail. Incredibly, he returns to the track, retains the lead after the mishap, and motors to victory. 
Moving on to September 6, 1982, Cale Yarbrough edges Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt to score his record-setting fifth triumph in Darlington Southern 500. Yarbrough has driven four different makes of cars in his Southern 500 wins, a Mercury, a Chevrolet, Oldsmobile, and a Buick. Up next, we go to September 6, 1998. Jeff Gordon bags his sixth victory in the last seven races and wins another Winston Noble 5 $1 million bonus. With a win in the Pepsi Southern 500 at Darlington, Gordon pads his lead in the NASCAR Winston Cup standings to 199 points over Mark Martin. And then finally, this week in NASCAR history, we go to September 8th. 2001. Ricky Rudd prevails in a game of bumper tag with Kevin Harvick and wins the Chevrolet 400 at Richmond International Speedway. Harvick punches Rudd out of the lead with 18 laps remaining, but Rudd returns the favor 12 laps later. That's it for this week in NASCAR history. Please be sure to tune in next week as I take you on another trip through the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Richmond Raceway. All right, Steve, the NASCAR Cup Series moves on to the second race of the 2021 playoffs at the Federated Auto Parts Salute to American Heroes 400 Saturday. Keep in mind when it comes to your schedule again, Saturday, September 11th at Richmond Raceway. You can catch the race at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, so a night race on NBCSN. You can catch it on the radio on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. This race, the stages are going to fall at lap 80, lap 235, and the checkered flag will fall at lap 400 in this 300-mile race around the short track there at Richmond. If we take a look at Ryan Blaney's stats when it comes to Richmond, it's really, really easy to kind of get a little bit down. But again, as we just said a little bit ago, it's a different Ryan Blaney here in 2021, but overall his average start is 14.1, average finish of 23.4. So again, historically, probably one of Ryan's, statistically, one of his worst racetracks. But when we take a look back at the spring race here at Richmond, started 7th and finished 11th. So not the best day, not definitely setting the world on fire day, but when we're talking about where he's at, 22 points above the playoff cut line, he doesn't need to necessarily go out and win and set the world on fire. If he came home with a top 10, um, 11th, let's say he did finish 11th or something like that, it's still most likely going to be a really good points day and keep him above the cut line when it comes to this race this weekend at Richmond. Yeah, Richmond is all about restarts uh, because once they do get spread out, it gets hard to pass unless you're really having a car in front of you that's failing um, or you're just way better. But, you know, for the most part, they get spread out. They run the same line. It becomes hard to pass. Um, you know, so what they do on pit road is going to be hugely important. And then uh, th- what they do on the restarts. And uh, we know Ryan's really good at taking advantage of restarts and, and getting positions on a restart. So. Uh, you know, starting eighth is pretty decent. Uh, it's a good place to start and uh, working forward from there. I don't think it'll be too much of a problem. I think that, uh, the, the, he's definitely racing with the top four or five guys right now in the series. Uh, he showed that, uh, he showed that, um, at Darlington, even though the finish didn't show it, he was racing with those top four or five guys running lap times with, with the Larsons and, and the, uh, Hamlins and, uh, and Kurt Busch. And um, I, I don't see any reason why he won't do that this Saturday night. 
Now, do you think that, uh, like, as I said, one of his worst tracks statistically, and he himself in the past had, you know, recognized that and even said, you know, I kind of dread going to Richmond, obviously had that, you know, kind of terrible effort when it came to the first round last season. But I think the team really turned a page during the spring race. And I feel like he has built up enough confidence to kind of even just get past the talk of, uh, I have to go to Richmond not going to be a good race yeah the, the during the spring he got uh he got it all the way up to second place at, at, at a point there in the race and uh, was running up there behind the right behind the leader so um yeah he he did a good job uh in the spring um i find it really interesting because this is literally the track that launched his career um with his first uh bush start and he ran really good there that night and so i, I you know maybe the pack which was different in that uh bush car Xfinity car, whatever you want to call it, um, back then. But uh, I think they figured out some things in the spring. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some setup things they'll have just right for him where they won't have to adjust on it too much. And uh, like I said, I think they're going to be going forward right off the bat. And Richmond is one of those tracks where NASCAR or the track doesn't actually mess with the racing surface itself. Darlington doesn't do it. I mean, they did just happen to have that patch of asphalt that they had to uh, redo that kind of mess with things a little bit, but you're not going to see a resin compound put on the track. You're not going to see PJ one put on the track at Richmond. Um, I remember a long time ago, really early on in my fandom, they used to put down uh, a sealer or something on the track that I know some drivers like some drivers hated, but it's been, you know, a decade or more since they did anything like that. So no track prep going into this track. So they should have a really decent notebook when it comes to Richmond that they can use from this spring race that ended up being relatively successful for this uh, 12 team. They'd got some stage points, I think you said, early on in the race and then went ahead and finished 11th. Why don't we take a look back at the last several winners here at uh, Richmond Raceway and um, Ryan's teammates, Brad Keselowski and Logano, come up here on this wins list over the last several years. But most recently, Alex Bowman went to victory lane. Prior to that, it was Brad Keselowski in the uh, fall race of uh, 2020. Uh, Martin Trex Jr. Uh, won back-to-back races in 2019. Uh, then we go to Kyle Busch, who won back-to-back races, swept the year in 2018. Kyle Larson won it in the uh, fall race of 2017 and Joey Logano won the spring race of 2017 and then just one prior to that just because he just won at Darlington Denny Hamlin won the fall race in 2016 so um if you're looking at guys that are going to challenge Ryan here um are some of the biggest names in the sport when it, uh, Truex has won multiple times Kyle Busch has won multiple times there um logano going back a couple of years has won multiple times the one guy on this list though um that might be coming in with a little bit of chip on his shoulder with that fifty thousand dollar fine that he got this past year is kyle bush and if you look at pack back at the past uh several uh races over the years it's kyle bush and then a couple other drivers and kyle bush and then kyle bush and then kyle bush so if there was a, a comeback race for that 18 team he might be dangerous this week um assuming they get the the car right and not um hopefully it's not an expletive car as uh he, he had said uh in his post-race interviews there um anybody else stand out to you that you think might be a challenge this week well you know denny um ran really good there in the spring too and uh i think uh that's i think that's sue bowman actually ended up passing for the, for the win so i it you know denny is the guy right now that uh all of a sudden they hit something and uh, 
it's playoff time. And I, you know, he's the guy I think to beat this weekend, actually. So again, just to a reminder, we've said it a couple of times, but Ryan is 22 points above that playoff cut line going into the second playoff race of the 2021 season, fifth in the standings. If you want to catch this race again, it's the Federated Auto Parts Salute to American Heroes 400 Saturday. Again, check your calendar, Saturday, September 11th at Richmond Raceway, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN, and you can listen to it on MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Steve, why don't we jump into our recap of the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League uh, from this past weekend's race, the Southern 500 at Darlington. I had sent you a screenshot about halfway through the race when Kyle Larson had been leading and won some stages. And um, I think even at one point, uh, my wife had pointed out that I was leading the standings as the race was going live. Um, As I go through my roster here, you might understand because, um, I mean, starting off as my starters, I had Martin Truex Jr., I had Denny Hamlin, I had Ryan Blaney, and I had Kyle Larson as my starters. At that point in the race, they were all running up front in the top 10. Um, I had Kyle Busch actually as a starter early in the race, but when he tagged the wall, uh, I, I think the wife and I both smartly got our phones out and took him out of the the, the, the our starting lineup and threw him into the garage. Uh, but this is why I was leading early on. I had Kyle Larson as the race winner. I had Kyle Larson as the top Chevrolet. I had Ryan as the top Ford. I had Denny Hamlin as the top Toyota, and I had Chevy and Hendrick Motorsports as the winning manufacturer. So I think I had a pretty hefty lead really early on in this race, uh, but then did end up slipping a little bit when it came to the final points. Who were you looking at uh, when it came to your starters this past week? Well, I had the same thing with Bowman. I had him in the lineup, and then his incident happened, and it forced me to put Kurt Busch in, which actually ended up being a a good move. I had Chase Elliott and uh, I thought Chase Elliott was going to be my guy um, across the board. So stuck with him in the lineup and he ends up finishing 31st with his, his issues. Um, and then I had him as the top, you know, everything and then top manufacturer, top team. And that didn't work out at all. Having him in those positions. I had Denny as the top Toyota. So I did get that right. Um, and I had Ryan to be the top forward, um, and that didn't work out. So, you know, I had Hamlin and, uh, Larson and Kurt Busch in my lineup. So I did get a couple decent points just for having those guys in the lineup and they finished, uh, first, second and sixth. So, you know, but, uh, yeah, no bonus points really for me from the bonus picks. And, uh, that kind of sunk the effort. So why don't we go ahead and take a look at the top 10 when it comes to points earned this past weekend for the Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. In first, again, it's the same guys and girls um, that are just so good at, at picking week in, week out. In first this past weekend at Darlington, we had Doug K0525, a staple of our, t- our top five here in the Fantasy League with 252 points. In second, another staple, Blaney Kicks Beep. With 246 points. In third, we had Rochi 12 with 237. In fourth, we had Team Penske with 232. In fifth, here's a name I haven't seen, I don't think recently. Matthew Topper with 229 points. Tied in the sixth position, up there with the big dogs, we had my team, Team Blaney Admin with 227 points. Tied in sixth with Moon Cup, 
another one of our perennial powerhouses here in the Fantasy League, also with 227 points. In eighth, another tie, we had Bulldog 0277 and Supermod with 223 points. And then rounding out the top 10, we had Go Larson with 217. And just to give an update on where Steve fell in the standings this past week, he was in 23rd position, Mez 12, with 193 points. So, kind of like uh, Ryan, could have been better, could have been a lot worse when it came to your fantasy results this past week. So, overall standings... In first, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing with 5,248 points. In second, we have Blaney Kicks Beep. In third, we have Doug K0525. In fourth, we have Moon Cup. In fifth, we have Rogue Tough. In sixth, we have Glitterbugs. In seventh, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In eighth, we have Vance 12. In ninth, we have Go Larson. In tenth, we have Blaney's Daisy. Now, I know we've been talking about, I'm not even 100% sure. I shouldn't know how all this point stuff works. But it actually even gives me a tab here for just the playoffs standings um and i'll tell you what um that's going to be the same exact thing as the uh points earned so i have to say that i would much prefer at this point going forward steve that we just go by playoff standings um definitely doesn't have anything to do with the fact that i'm six in in the playoff standings (laughs) nothing to do with that this is just all about being fair uh when it when it comes to reporting our, our overall league standings here I'm glad we got the option, so we'll we'll have to read read both off, I think, here and there. But uh, that's great. Now you got something to shoot for the next nine weeks. Yeah, I mean, the main thing that that makes it kind of weird, which I don't necessarily understand, is just the fact that it tells you playoff playoffs. I think it maybe just means like you'll just see. But I didn't do anything to earn my way in. I, I can understand if the league did it to where like if you finished in the top sixteen, then you make it to the playoffs. But but I don't know. Um, I think. Uh, Doug K0525 may have uh, swept uh, the regular season and is now going in and leading the playoffs. So, uh, or no, sorry, it was Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing that won the, the regular season. So we'll yeah. see what, what he can do up against Doug, who's now leading in the in the playoff standings. And my team, that just happens to be in, the, in sixth. And like I said, maybe we'll just go with playoff standings for here on out. I don't know. Uh, maybe the, the rest of the league will riot. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just went through guys to look for this weekend. Um I might save, I mean, I, I, again, I want to be positive about Ryan, but I might save uh, one of my Ryan Blaney starts this week or put him in the garage or something like that just because I think there's some better tracks, Bristol and some other things that are going to be coming up Talladega uh, that are maybe better suited than Richmond for him. Um, but and when it comes to some of these other guys, I'm going to have to consider starting Denny Hamlin. I'm going to have to consider starting Martin Truex Jr. Um, I know Joey had some... Uh, Joey and Brad both kind of endured this past week and got top 10 finishes. Um, But Joey still might be one of those guys. He's won multiple times here at uh, Richmond as well. Uh, And Brad only went to victory and lane there um, just over a year ago. So, um, but if I'm looking at locks, I might have to get Denny Hamlin in my, in my lineup, maybe burn one of those and uh, go with the hot hand here. And think about Martin Truex Jr., who is a driver that just, I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable to see that, that they're the crew. I mean, I know we, we're not supposed to get down on pit crews, but, um, but even him as well, I think he had a speeding penalty and he had a, had a loose wheel during that race. It's just like, they seem to be plagued every year. Uh, maybe even just since, his championship with just pit road issues and um, probably had one of the fastest cars of the night at Darlington, but only was able to race his way back up to fourth. So 
anyone is is Hamlin Hamlin uh, probably a lock for you going into this week you think yeah Hamlin uh, Larson um, like you said Truex um, those are guys yeah it's it just a matter of hitting the right bonus things at the at the bottom you know uh, doubling up tripling up hitting the right winner a manufacturer and a team I think uh, you hit those three and uh, you could be right up there with uh, Doug and uh, and Clyde. And I think you mentioned this last uh, episode, but if you are interested in um, picking back up, if you'd already signed up for the Team Blading NASCAR Fantasy Live League, we will kind of keep saying what the points are through this playoff run. So, hey, if you've forgotten to set your lineup the last few weeks, just jump back in again and have some fun going through this playoff stretch. It might just be uh, keep things a little bit interesting. You know, and we read the weekly weekly top ten too. So, you know what? Even if you're just playing week to week, you know we do read the weekly top ten. See if you can put together a good uh, good week. You know, just one good week. You know, pick five good ones and put together a good um, good roster. Well, Steve, I think that just about wraps it up for this week's episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. But I did want to pass along one. A uh, thing of note, and that is that Dave Blaney is going to be back behind the wheel of his 410 Sprint car at his home track again, Sharon Speedway, for the Apple Fest Nationals that they hold uh, most every year. I think they might have been canceled last year, but he will be competing in the Sprint cars this Saturday night, September 11th. So if you happen to be up in the Ohio, Western Pennsylvania area, and you want to catch the Buckeye Bullet out on the racetrack for I would say possibly one of the last times this season, depending on what else he has on his schedule, you can catch him at Sharon Speedway at the Apple Fest Nationals in the, I think it's a 3,000 to win sprint car race. And they have a pretty decent card uh, of racing going on this this next, uh, this Friday and Saturday this weekend. So go ahead and out go out there and cheer on the Buckeye Bullet, uh, but keep your phone handy or something so you can catch up with what Ryan Blaney is doing at Richmond Raceway. So, I want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, just please listen to our very first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney, and then you can also find us on Instagram. I've been sharing some photos from the last several races that we've been able to attend. Don't forget, really important, to also download, rate, and subscribe to this, the Team Blaney podcast, on the Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and various other podcasting apps. I think I might have mentioned something like this last week, but again, just want to throw this out there to everyone that has been downloading and listening to the podcast over the last couple of weeks. We always get a boost uh, when Ryan does well or Ryan wins a race or we have our friend Josh Williams stop by and give us some commentary on the races, but we've hit record numbers and downloads and listens in the past couple of weeks for the team Blaney podcast. And I, I know I speak for Steve as well. It's very humbling. Also very exciting that you guys are tuning in and downloading the podcast each and every week. Um, so just huge, huge thank you from the both of us. And once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney family foundation. This organization established in 2018 supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation, and they also have a very active Instagram account. For my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time here on... 
the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Brussels and Dublin. <laughs> <laughs>